Well, good Sunday evening, church. Uh, I trust that you've had a wonderful, wonderful Lord's Day. Uh, it's, uh, it's been a wonderful day today. I'm so thankful for how God has met with us today. And I trust that he will tonight as we open his word to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6 in just a moment. So, hey, take just a second and check in and share this right now. Let others know that you are um, online and, and watching and bring others in to watch the service tonight. We're so grateful that we have the chance to share this with our loved ones, our friends, those that, um, that we know across the globe. Invite them to come and to participate tonight and open their Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. So while you're doing that, let me just say a couple things about um, my heart being full from some events this last week. Uh, this this last uh, Thursday evening, we had our Serve 6-8 uh, ministry opportunity where families came to our, our church. We were able to meet with those families. Many of our people provided games and activities and hot cocoa and cookies and gift wrapping as, as parents came and picked up Christmas gifts for their children. And we were able to, to meet with them and, and fellowship with them, invite them to come to church um, give the gospel to some. And we met some wonderful people and had wonderful opportunity of ministry. And I want to say to all the volunteers, thank you for your time uh, that you've given to this project. And those of you who purchased toys and our toy drive and all the way around, I just want to say thank you for reaching out. We had a wonderful outreach this week on Thursday. And then uh, this last Friday, we had a wonderful ministry meeting for our widows. Um, we kicked off with uh, Jim Cruz, our El Shaddai Widows Ministry, with a beautiful Christmas tea. And uh, Miss Carol Elliott shared a wonderful time of uh, her testimony. And uh, so many were able to come and be blessed by that wonderful time together with a tea and just fellowship and encouragement from God's word. and. And, and Jim really pointed us to the El Shaddai, the God who is all sufficient, who supplies every need. And it was a wonderful time. And I'm looking forward to the ministry as it grows. And we have an opportunity to serve these precious people. Um, so it, just a big thank you to everybody who helped, to everyone who gave, to everyone who participated. Uh, you were a blessing. And I know that God used you this weekend, and our church had a wonderful ministry. So uh, it's just been a great, great season. We have many upcoming things. Don't forget that this Wednesday night, we will not have our midweek service on Wednesday. We're moving our service to Saturday night. There'll be two times for candlelight service on Christmas Eve. Uh, bring your family and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And then on Christmas Day, we will have our 11 o'clock service and we will have the Lord's Supper that day. It's gonna be a wonderful time. And I wanna share with you just some thoughts on my heart very quickly before we get to the message. Uh, for years now, we have seen this culture war, we've called it, and this advancement of secularism and trying to remove Christ from Christmas and to secularize this holiday. You know, it's interesting that all of these corporations, they, they love to have this holiday and they love to allow Christmas to meet their budget lines and their profit margins. And yet, so often Christ is, is forgotten. 
And this is a wonderful season for the Christian to remember um, the Lord Jesus Christ, his incarnation, the miracle of that, that God would come to this earth in human form so that he could be our sacrifice, that he might offer us eternal life through the glorious gospel of his death, burial, and resurrection. What a joy it is to know the real meaning of the season. And this is a week where we have opportunity to share the gospel with people who are going to be open to that. And so I want to encourage you, church, let's not get so fixated on all of the things that surround this holiday that we forget to be faithful to the Lord. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And so I want to encourage you to be faithful this week and invite others with you. This is a great opportunity to invite neighbors to come to a a Christmas Eve service. And uh, I promise you that you'll be blessed in your heart. Your spirit will be encouraged and you'll see the gospel in full form this week. And so I want to encourage you, don't don't forget to uh, pray for these services. Pray that God will meet in a mighty way and that we can see God's people encouraged in these dark days and we can see the light of the gospel shine in the darkness and see people come to know him as personal savior. So uh, I wanna encourage you for that. Hey, open your Bible, Isaiah 9, 6, and we're gonna study tonight. We're gonna preach from this passage of scripture on the everlasting Father. Lord Jesus, I pray tonight that you'll meet with us right where we are as we open your word that your spirit would speak to us And Lord, that we would understand something tonight of profound, profound truth. So I pray you'll help us open our ears of understanding in Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah 9, 6, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, it is said, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given. He was a child that was born, little baby in a manger, but he was a son given pre-existent before his birth. He didn't get his beginning in Bethlehem. He's the eternal son of God. He was born and a son given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. This is a marvelous passage of scripture as we look into this prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ that he shall be called wonderful. There's wonder in his name. There's wonder in the name of Christ. But not only that, he is the counselor. There's wisdom in his name. There's wisdom there. He is the wisdom of God to all of us. And then we saw that he is the mighty God. There's great wealth in his name. All that God is is in Jesus Christ and he has all power and all authority and all spiritual blessings to bless us with. He is God in the flesh. But tonight we come to a word that can confound us if we're not careful. We can skim over it if we're not careful. But I want you to meditate on this everlasting father. His name should be called everlasting father. And I wanna tell you, that there's worship in this name, that he is to be worshiped almost in the same breath that he is called the child born, in the same breath that he's called a son given. 
he's called an everlasting father. And that's an interesting thought. And I hope that you won't just skim over that. It's not a contradiction. But it is a mighty marvel that the infant should be the infinite God. This little infant was the infinite God, everlasting father. In that little baby, there was eternity. This man of sorrows would be the everlasting father. He is God over all. Now, when we come to this, I, I really want you to, to stop and think. We, we sometimes don't contemplate the scripture like we ought, but what does it mean that he's the everlasting father? Is this a contradiction to the Trinity? How can the son be the father? Jesus cannot take the place of the father in the triune God. There, remember, there is the father, there is the son, there's the Holy Spirit. And, and the, the son cannot be the father. So in what sense then is Jesus a father? This is where we have to really rightly divide the word of truth or we can create serious flaws in our theology and our doctrine. And so we wanna make sure that we're rightly dividing the word of truth. And, and I wanna just say, when it comes to the Lord Jesus, a look will save your soul. Just a look of faith, look and live, the Bible says. But you're not going to understand the depths of the Lord Jesus and really know the mysteries of Christ at a glance. We're going to have to gaze at him. We're going to have to lock our eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ and study his word and let the Holy Spirit reveal to us who the Lord Jesus Christ is. Remember when Jesus asked his disciples in John 16, when he was up at Caesarea Philippi, whom say men that I am? And they said, oh, you're, they say that you're one of the prophets. And Jesus said, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And remember what Jesus said to him? Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood have not revealed this unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven. And can I tell you that it's gonna take the Holy Spirit to impart to us who the Lord Jesus Christ is in this passage of scripture. And we're going to have to see Jesus by his own light. You cannot see Jesus by your light. You cannot see Jesus by my light. You can only see Jesus by his own light. So what is the meaning of this everlasting father? It, it means really the father of eternity. It really means that he is the father of eternity. He is the father of the quality for which he is most known. Now, don't miss this. He's the father of the quality for which he is most known. This is very common even today, today in Eastern cultures. Uh, if a man in the East is wise, he would be often referred to as the father of wisdom. If, if a man was a fool, he would be called the father of folly. But in this case, when Jesus is referred to as the everlasting father, he's being referred to as the father of of eternity, that quality for which he is most known. He is eternal. He is the eternal son, the eternal God, the eternal word, the preexistent with the father. Remember, he didn't have his beginning in Bethlehem. He didn't get his start in the manger. He was everlasting God before he was the child. 
And so we're going to really see this tonight in what sense Jesus is a father. Remember, he is not the heavenly father. He is the son. But he's a son that is a father. And we're going to see this tonight. In the prophecy, it was said of him that he would be the father of eternity, the everlasting father. In what sense is Jesus a father? Well, number one, and we're going to break this down tonight. We're going to let the scripture tell us. Number one, he is federally a father. Now, I want you to say that out loud right where you are tonight. He is federally a father. And what does that mean? Well, it means that he represents all those that are in him. As the head of a tribe represents all of his descendants. Jesus is the representative of all that are in him. Remember what the Bible says in one of the most powerful and impactful passages of Scripture in Romans chapter 5. And this is something we touched on last Wednesday night. I would encourage you to go back and listen to the Bible study as we talked about identification with Christ. One of the most overlooked doctrines of the Bible, in my opinion, that so many Christians are ignorant of is their identification with Christ. You know, we have an identity crisis in our world today. People want to talk about how they identify and all this. Listen, men are looking for something to, to identify with and as outside of ourselves because we know in, inerrantly, we know in our hearts that we are flawed, that we are sinful, and we need something else to identify with. Well, Jesus is that one who came to identify with us so we may be identified with him. Uh, this whole world's talking about this trans movement. Well, I want to tell you, Jesus was preaching to be transformed way before all of this. We need a transformation. We need a metamorphosis. We need to be changed into his likeness. And in that sense, is Jesus a father? He is federally a father of all those that he represents. All those that are in him, he is the federal head of that tribe. Let me tell you what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Then he says in verse 15, not as the offense, so also is the free gift. Uh, for if through the offense of one, Adam, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many. In other words, all who have been born into this world have been born federally in Adam. And in Adam, we've all sinned. We were born in sin. Every one of us is a sinner because of our birth uh, in this world. If you're alive right now and breathing and you have a birthday, you are a sinner and you are identified in Adam. God only sees the world in one of two men, either in Adam or in Jesus. Oh, well, we say, we say, no, 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 no. Men were created in the image of God. And he was, man was created in the image of God. But man disfigured that image and defaced that image at the fall. See, this is the tragedy of sin. 
This, we, we downplay the fall so much. We think, well, well what, what really happened there? I'll tell you what happened there. Man fell hard and marred the image, disfigured the image. And so now we are all in Adam. Think about this. Now, I want you to really think about this. In the beginning, God made man in his own image after his own likeness. Remember that? But think about what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 3. Now, these are the books of the generation of Adam, the Bible says. These are the, this is the book of the generations of Adam. Adam lived in 130 years. Now, listen to this. And begat a son in his own likeness after his image. You see, Adam fell and disfigured and defaced the image of God. And now his son was born in his image. That's why by one man sin entered the world and death passed upon all men for that all have sinned because all are in the, in the likeness of Adam. That's why Psalm 51 and verse five said, behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. It wasn't the mother sinning at the conception. It was that this in the conception, he was in sin. Uh, Psalm 58, verse number three, the wicked are estranged from the womb. Estranged from who? Estranged from God. We're estranged from God from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born speaking lies. If you've ever had a baby in your home, you know that from the very beginning, they speak lies. They'll cry when their bellies are full and they're warm and they're snuggled, their diapers are clean, and yet they'll cry as though something were wrong. And they'll tell you, uh, there's something wrong and all they wanted was to be held. <laughs> Listen, it, and, and there is a sinful nature inerrant in every one of us. We were born with it. We were born with a fallen nature. That's why Jesus said in John chapter three, ye must be born again. Well, Nicodemus said, how can I be old? Enter again into my mother's womb. Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And as Moses was lift, raised up the serpent, so the son of man should be lifted up. And if he be lifted up, he'll draw all men unto him. See, what is he saying? He's saying that through the, exaltation of Christ, that lifting up on the cross, he becoming sin for us to, to dis, defeat sin and us looking by faith, we would be given a new life. That's why Jesus said in John 10 and verse 10, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Again, Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, 25, at the death of Lazarus, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that liveth and believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? That's what Jesus said. I'm the resurrection in this life. If you live right now in Adam, but believe on me, I will give you my life. My life. Jesus said, do you believe that? John 14, verse six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, we, Adam was made a living soul. And he passed that living soul 
I'm, I have a soul, you have a soul. I, I, am, I am a soul with a body, you are a soul with a body. But the problem is, when we were born, our spirit was dead because Adam sinned and death by sin, that spirit died within us and we were cut off from God. We were estranged from God. Jesus came that we might have life restored, renewed. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him, watch this, should not perish. That's what we're doing in Adam, but have everlasting life. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about the quality of life that Jesus brings us, eternal life, everlasting life. And thank God we'll live in heaven because we've got to live forever somewhere because we have forever life. The quality of life that Jesus has given us. John uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 45. And so it was written, the first Adam, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. See, Adam was a soul that was given a body. But when he died, that spirit cut, was cut off. And uh, now he was soulish. That's it. He was just soulish. He was of this earth. He was earthly and sensual, and devilish. But when Jesus came, he came that we might have now access to God and the life of God in us. So what am I saying? I'm saying that Jesus stands as the representative head of all those who have come to him by faith. And therefore, to all of those who've come to Christ federally, he is a father. Do you understand that? Boy, the, the Christmas writer knew that when he penned these words. Adam's likeness now erase. Stamp thine image in its place. And so uh, this is how Jesus, number one, is federally a father. All right, you get that? Number two, number two, he is a founding father. He is the founder of, father. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, think about this. We talk about our founding fathers here in America. We, we talk about George Washington being the father of our country. We use this term father as someone who was a founder, an initiator, an originator. For instance, we talk about Hippo, uh, uh, Hippocrates as the father of medicine, we talk about James Madison as the father of the Constitution. We talk about uh, Charles Babbage as the father of the computer or, or going all the way back to the book of Genesis. We talk about Jabel as the father of those who dwell in tents or Jubal, the father of music. In that sense, Jesus is the father of a wonderful system. Uh, just like James Madison, the father of our Constitution, was the father of a tremendous body of law and government, a system of freedom that is rapidly eroding, by the way, that we must um, maintain. But that system, though it may decay, uh, is no comparison to the system that Jesus is the father of. He's the founding father of a system <laughs> that will never decay. Uh, he's the father of the system of Christianity. That's what he's the father of. He's the father of Christianity. It's a system under which grace reigns through righteousness. Uh, see, our federal constitution today is a system whereby freedom 
reigns by rule of law. It's, it's these laws that protect freedom. But under Jesus' system, it's a system of grace that is protected through righteousness. Isn't this a beautiful thing? That the righteousness of Christ provide, provided by grace, that grace provides righteousness to all of us. Jesus is the father of a system whereby God sent his son into the world and that son came into this world to redeem it. Jesus founded the system of redemption by blood. He founded the system that blood washes away sins, that there's redemption in the shed blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. He is the father of the system of regeneration of the spirit. He is a quickening spirit. Those who have come to him by faith, they receive remission of their sins by his shed blood. They receive regeneration or new life by his spirit. It is a system whereby the saints are preserved. All those who come to faith in Jesus Christ are forever saved. We have now eternal life. Listen, you can't lose your salvation. You say, how do you know that? Because if you could lose your salvation, you would. You would lose it. But you can't lose it because we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Jesus Christ is the founder of a system by which we come to him by faith. We are recipients of his grace. That grace gives us remission of our sins through his shed blood. It gives us regeneration of life by his spirit. It gives us a security and a perseverance of the saints by his keeping power. He is the founding father of our faith. Think about that. In what way is Jesus a father? He's the father of our faith. Think about what the Bible said in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number two, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is the originator of it. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. See, he is the founding father of our faith. He is the one who has given us this system of faith. Not only that, it's a practical system that he gave us. He taught us how to live this out. Now listen, you don't get saved by living it out. You get saved and then you live it out, working out your salvation. Not working for it, but working it out. Once you've received it, now you can live this new life. And Jesus taught us what this looks like practically. Hey, love God with all your heart. Well, you can't do that until you get a new heart. Uh, love thy neighbor as thyself. Then he said, uh, love your enemies. Do good to them that despitefully use you. Hey, only a regeneration can do that in the life of a believer. Only a believer can say practically to the Father, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And so Jesus is the founding father of true Christianity, a system of faith and grace and regeneration, and righteousness, and holiness lived out by the faith of our founding Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is where we are given new desires and new loves 
and new power to become the sons of God and to live under the principles of heaven by the indwelling power of Jesus Christ in us. So in that sense, he is a father. Do you understand that? He's a father federally to all those that he represents. He is a founding father by the system that he founded. He's the father of our faith. Do you understand that? Well, this is deep. I want you to meditate on it. Think on it. Number three, he is the father of a future age. He's a father in the sense that Abraham was father Abraham or Isaac was father Isaac. And they were patriarchs. They were men who represented a covenant and a time to come. They were patriarchal figures. And Jesus is our patriarch. He is our father of a future age. In other words, when, when God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to take you and I'm going to make of you a great nation and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a blessing. And the whole world's going to be blessed through you. What was he saying? He was covenanting with Abraham that you're going to be a father of this people. Well, Jesus is a father of a future age. Abraham was a father of generations yet unborn. And Jesus is the father, the patriarchal father of a future age. You say, what do you mean? Think about what Jesus preached. Mark chapter one, verse 15. Jesus said this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Jesus said this to Pilate in John chapter 18, verses 36 and 37. Don't miss this. This is a conversation with Jesus and Pilate at the time of his trial. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, art thou a king then? And Jesus answered, thou sayest I'm a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Now, what was Jesus saying? I have a kingdom and I am a king, but my kingdom's not of this earth. My kingdom's not of this world. My servants are not here to overthrow you. My servants are here to proclaim the truth of the coming age. I am the father, the patriarch of a future age. There is coming a time, you listen to me, there is coming a time closer than you and I think when Jesus will not be lifted up on a cross. He will be exalted on a throne. He will not be crowned with thorns, but he will be crowned with unnumbered diadems. He will have crowns upon crowns upon crowns. His kingdom will have no end. He will have no successor. He will not be voted in. He will never be impeached. He is not coming to take sides. He's coming to take over. He is going to rule on the throne forever and ever and ever as king of kings and lord of lords. And there are no term limits. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. He is coming to rule and reign. Think about what Jesus, what was said of Jesus in Hebrews 1 and verse 8. But unto the Son, he saith. So here's the Father speaking to the Son. Thy throne, O God. Isn't that something? God calling the Son God. He said, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. 
Listen, friend, you hear me? Jesus has a kingdom that is yet to come, a kingdom that we are to be praying for. We are to be praying for thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He is coming with a scepter of, of, of righteousness to rule. Jesus is the father patriarch that will rule his people. He is going to be high and lifted up, highly exalted. Revelation 11 and verse 15 says, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The, kingdom of this, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Let me give you a few more verses tonight. I'm going to turn to these and I want you to I want you to hear them because this is <laughs> this thrills my soul. We'll be preaching on this more in the year to come. But Revelation chapter 9 and or 19 and verse 11, listen to it. Listen to it. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, and with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Boy, hallelujah, praise God. If you can't shout about that, there's something wrong. Uh, Revelation chapter 20 and verse number six, the Bible says of him, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Revelation chapter 22 and verse number three, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. The, the Lamb has a throne, doesn't he? And his servants shall serve him. And they shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall be no night. And they shall need no candle, neither the light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light and they shall reign forever and ever. And he saith unto me, these things are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Hey, he's coming. He is coming. There is a future age and it's an age of righteousness. It's an age where Jesus will reign supreme. He will be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We will be his people. We will reign with him. And we will see the power of his righteousness. And the whole earth shall be filled with his glory. The lion will lay down with the lamb. The child will take an adder and lead it. There will be no suffering. He is coming to reign in glory. Now listen to me. He is father because he's the head of his people. He is the head of his church. He is the father because he's the founder of the gospel the founder of true Christianity. 
He is the originator of the Christian system. He is the life. He is the life giver to all those who come to God by him. And he's the patriarchal king. He is the loving head of the family. He never dies. He does not become childless. He is a father. He is everlasting. And he's coming again. And he is going to rule forever and ever and ever and ever. (laughs) And all God's people can say amen. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, bow your heart right now to him. Cry out with faith and repentance. Oh, dear Jesus, I am a sinner. I'm estranged from you. I've been born in sin. I'm lost, eternally lost. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God the everlasting Father that you came to give life, eternal life. And right now by faith, the best way I know how I receive you, Jesus. Give me remission of sins. Give me the newness of the Spirit. Give me new life, eternal life. Pray that right now and mean that. Ask Jesus to save you and he'll do it. He said, I'll save all those who call upon me. I'll not turn one away. He's promised it. You call on him. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ prophesied 700 years before he was born to be the everlasting father. And oh, I'm so grateful that I am represented in him, that he ever lives to make intercession for me, that he is my advocate. I'm so thankful that he is the father of this faith that he can live this faith in me. And I am so thankful that he is the father of the age to come, the patriarch who will rule and reign. Oh, he is the everlasting father. Thank you for it. May we worship you this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church.